Agents Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Chime. Chime offers an award-winning sales acceleration platform built for the real estate industry. Powered by artificial intelligence, Chime delivers the data insights agents and teams need to make the most out of the leads they already have and to get to a close faster. Through an expanding partner network, Chime's easy-to-use conversion platform also delivers quality sales-ready leads from the get-go. It eliminates time-consuming manual tasks and helps agents focus on what matters most, building their network, servicing clients, and growing the bottom line. To learn more about how Chime can help you, visit www.chime.me or call 833-682-4463. Lab Coach Nation, I am looking forward to a conversation today with a fellow real estate professional down on the panhandle of Florida. So we were just talking off air about that market and and uh, how it differentiates from other markets. But what's most important here is not the fact that he's living in a tropical area in a with perfect beaches and uh, they're high enough above sea level that where a hurricane's not going to kick their ass. I think what's more important here is getting back to some of the basics and some of the things that helped this guest get to where he is today. And I'm excited to share that. I'm excited to talk deeper about that because right now in the real estate industry, it's not easy. And it's not going to get any easier anytime soon. And so some of us need to apply some of the principles you're going to learn today. Uh, So with that, welcome to the show, Jonathan Spears. I'm looking forward to chatting, man. Yeah, Jeff, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Well, good, good, man. So, and and uh, I'd rather, I wish we were doing this live together. I wish I was sitting at your house right now so we could, uh, we could break bread, but we're not. Uh, We'll we'll wait uh, for the first snowfall up in uh, in Missouri. (laughs) There you go. That's a a great idea, actually. Uh, So, John, who who are you? Tell us, tell the audience who you are. I've already mentioned where you come from, but uh, tell us about kind of your journey to get to where you are today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm Jonathan Spears, uh, founder of Spears Group, which is luxury real estate team here in North Florida. So we're along the panhandle of Florida. Uh, I always joke with people that we are the only part of Florida in central time zone. Uh, which for you, you, you get, but you know, all of our Northeasters that come into town, they're like, gosh, man, I just gained an hour. I love it. But for us, we, uh, we serve second, third, fourth homeowners, um, investor profiles. And, you know, we're very fortunate to be along a white sand beach, emerald green waters, and, you know, serve such a, a wonderful community here in the South. Love it. And for those of you that aren't overly familiar with this part of Florida, which many of you may not be, you think Florida, you think Miami, you think Naples, you think West Palm, right? But uh, we're talking like Destin, we're talking Panama City, we're talking Pensacola. And uh, the way I described it, being a Midwestern guy, that's a popular place for Midwesterners to go, I think for everybody. Uh, But the sand there is like perfect. And so if you've never experienced it, not that this is a a push for that, but you should go visit Jonathan and uh, and go hang out on the panhandle, namely in the warmer months, though, because it does get cool there in the winter. But Jonathan, what, so what led you, enough about Panhandle, uh, what led you to getting into real estate? Because I read that, you know, you came out of college, FSU, and and went right into real estate. So that's not common. Yeah. T- tell us that story. No. So it's interesting. I feel like everybody's talking recession right now. And 
um, you know, what that means for a real estate market. And I am a true product of the great recession. So I think when we all like think of the word recession, we, we go back to 2007, 2008, 2009. For us, it really was 2010 when we had uh, the BP oil spill um, that really threatened the, the quality of the beaches, which is a natural resource that really brings everybody to our area. And in 2010, I had turned 18 in January, like five months before the oil spill. And at 18, I decided I was going to get a real estate license and really fuel my entrepreneurial outlet. And, uh, you know, I got into real estate right before uh, what we would call a crash, right? Like people stopped coming here. They, they, they weren't spending money in the market. Fear and volatility was in an all-time high. And as I look back on that, like I couldn't be more thankful to have started during that time frame because the adversity and the headwinds that we had, it wasn't like the market was doing this. The market was doing this, you know, just gone off a cliff and, um, you know, trying to figure out how do we problem solve? How do we how do we pioneer? And, and ultimately, how do we help serve people in the market, whether it's sellers or buyers? Um, and then, you know, before that, I started college at the age of 14. And for me, I, uh, I made my first major cold call by calling the dean of our local community college and saying, hey, look, I'm a homeschool kid. I really want to start taking college courses and dual enroll, which allowed for you know, the state of Florida to pay for a portion of my education. And um, the dean was reluctant, but, but let me in a couple years early with me proving myself on an SAT. But, um, but being able to go to college really allowed me to, to kind of get things knocked out prior to entering my adult years. So when I got into real estate, I was really focused full time. That's what I was doing 100%. Um, I know a lot of people who are listening, they may be second, third, fourth careers in real estate, or they may be like me, like this is your first career. And, um, you know, it was, it was a, a very humbling experience. Okay. I, I've got to rewind the clock here. And I did read this and I forgot about it because I was reading about some of the real estate related stuff, but this is interesting. Uh, 14 years old. Yeah. You're, you're testing for the SAT. You're going to, well, what, come on, man. What, what kind of a, like a savant are you here? Let's go. I'm not, I'm just ridiculously ambitious. And I really feel like mindset is, is such an important thing because I, I remember at 14, you know, I, I tell my mom or I tell my dad, like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do this. And they, it's almost like they, they didn't believe me or they thought it was funny. And that only fueled me more. And so I, I had to beg my mom to drop me off at college. Like I didn't have a driver's license. Of course not. Yeah. Um, I was taking classes full time. And so those first two years, like my mom's taking me to school twice a week, dropping me off, picking me up. And like the students in class are seeing this. And I ended up getting the name Doogie Hauser as like a nickname. And I was so young, I did not know who Doogie Hauser was. So that was also a little embarrassing, but, um, but it ended up being, you know, a great experience. And I'll tell you, it was my first experience having to figure out how to collaborate with people that weren't my age, you know, or even collaborating with those that are close to my age, but, but have major age gaps. I think that set me up for a lot of success in real estate because, you know, oftentimes for me, especially even now at 30, I've, I've got clients that I'm leading that are, that are twice, maybe even three times my age. And so, you know, trying to instill confidence in somebody at an early, early period and really build rapport quickly. That was a skill that, that I developed during that time frame in school. What happened to high school? I never went. I don't have a high school diploma. I just have two college degrees. <laughs> 
how does that work, man? I didn't even know that that was that was a thing. I don't, I don't know. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> that is so funny. I mean, that, that's that's an interesting fact. Uh, that's a fun fact about you that uh, I don't think many many can many can attest to. And just the fact that that you know it's it's a daunting thing. You know, when you go from eighth grade to your freshman year, like it's intimidating when you walk through those hallways, Very. and here you are walking down college walkways i mean how that had to be intimidating you had to feel out of place i was uh i was just focused i mean i, th I think you know if somebody were to say hey what's your superpower it's when i set my mind to something i really focus and fixate on it and not only kind of fixate because in college you know you have a two to four year spread and, and sometimes more depending on what type of degree or or what kind of career path you're taking and so i really had to apply myself in the same way repetitively and you know figuring out how to pace myself to do the same thing every day repetitively and make sure that those are the things that i'm doing that are uh, equating success and equating that same why and the goal that I set out, you know, that was probably the hardest part. And I'd say the parallel to that for us in business, whether you're in real estate or, or medical sales or, or um, in the mortgage industry is what are you doing day in, day out, those incremental wins that really yield success in the long term. And if I looked back from, you know, today I'm 30. So the last 12, 13 years, what was I doing incrementally that, that equated to the success that we have today? It's that's nuts, man. I mean, it's and that's uh, I'll digress from it because obviously it's not necessarily relevant, but it's interesting. Uh, so now then fast forwarding to 18, 19 years old and you graduate college when we're all just getting ready to go to college and you say real estate. So my first thought is, well, clearly you have an IQ higher than an average human. You clearly are capable of different things. And I, my right. first thought would be for somebody in your shoes, not knowing very, you know, knowing very little is, you know, like wall street or financial advisor type of role or something like that. Right. Uh, but you chose real estate. It, number one, why, but number two, did you have other options? Did you have other opportunities that were, you know, kind of on your doorstep? Yeah. So that's actually a great question because my background was in finance and for me, like finance was, you know, the upper echelon It's it's where in school, um, you know, salespeople were kind of down here. I remember real estate in particular, I took a real estate class at, at Florida State and one of the students, you know, kind of paralleled a real estate agent to like the dirt on the bottom of your shoe, as far as the perspective uh, from a consumer lens. And that always stuck with me. Like, when people think of salespeople, they think of them as grimy or like, you know, shoe, shoe salespeople or used car salesmen. And, um, you know, so originally I wasn't inspired to go into real estate. I wasn't inspired to, to necessarily be in sales. Like you wanted to climb a corporate ladder and, you know, at the, at, <laughs> at the young age of, of 15, 16, I watched Lehman Brothers collapse while I was in my first economics class. And so my worldview and the lens that I was looking at life through was, was shifting constantly. And the moment that I really decided to, to kind of lean into real estate was when I had a college recruiter come in in like my third or fourth year at FSU. And they offered um, job interviews for a firm in Atlanta. And the starting salary was $35,000. And for me, I had been working odds and end jobs while in school, 
um, while kind of like leading up to getting a real estate license and $35,000 just didn't seem to cut it. Like just thinking about having that, that cap on my income, you know, did not sound exciting. And as a kid, I was always kind of like entrepreneurial. I, I love lemonade stands and, you know, I go door to door, um, you know, trying to sell things and it just, the sales aspect wasn't broadcasted in school as an attractive outlet. And I think part of that's because there's really not an avenue coming out of school to go directly into sales that's corporate. And so for me, like trying to figure out how do I, how do I enter a career field where I don't have anyone telling me how much I can make, you know, real estate seemed like a very natural progression. So you get out of college, you go get your degree. Now you've got at least two things against you. One, age. It's clear that you're going to have the young appearance, right? You're going to lack experience and and you look young. And you're selling real estate in a market where there's a lot of money. And like you said, second, third, fourth, fifth homes. And, you know, there's just, there's mindsets around that. It's, it's people are different. They can be a little bit different you had a lot to overcome. So where did you start? Like what you, you mentioned, you were trying to figure out, okay, buyers, sellers, where, where do I go? Where yeah. did you start? So it's really interesting because I started as someone's assistant in what I call a foreclosure factory, right? So the only properties that were transacting at the time that I was coming out of school and getting into real estate were distressed properties. And so it really exposed me to uh, pricing properties for banks and for different lenders and sometimes private equity groups that, you know, took back bad debt. And for me, like getting the opportunity to, to kind of work on behalf of a bank taught me a pretty corporate process for pricing. And it also taught me how to handle uh, a magnitude of transactions all at once that I, I don't know that the average agent takes on. So for us, like at that time we were doing 200 transactions a year and, you know, in 2010, 200 transactions a year was, you know, it was, it was a lot. It was the most in the market uh, from a transaction standpoint, but we weren't doing like million dollar sales. Like my very first sale was a $90,000 house and um, it was a foreclosure and navigating a foreclosure, like the paperwork. I remember we had to get blue wet ink signatures. There was no such thing as DocuSign. You know, any type of electronic signature was was fraud. And, you know, there's this whole like fraudulent um, processing case that that I think Fannie Mae went through back in that time. And so for us, like we really had to literally dot our T's and cross our I's. And that detail orientation, it carried over as, as I really found the areas of the market that I wanted to serve, which ultimately was luxury home sales. Okay, so talk, walk us through that. Walk us through because and there's some specific topics that I want to touch on today. You know, it, things about routine and and how you prospect and 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 I read that you know direct mail is an important factor and just getting back to basics. But before we get kind of into that, I mean, you know, what was what, what did that progression look like? And I think this is relevant for two 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 types of agents mainly. One, the brand new agent, right? They're trying to navigate, figure out their way. Uh, but two, the agent who struggles that that can't can't just get going and hasn't found a rhythm. Uh, so talk to that it, from your perspective. How did you uh, obviously, you know, where did you go after you left the team and, and what did that look like? What kind of led you to, to, to where you where you are today? 
you know, I'm, so today I've got a team of 10 individuals plus, you know, staff, and we really run a small brokerage of sorts. And what's interesting is I always tell my team, like where you gravitate is what you'll cultivate. And so for me back then, like I always gravitated to the top of the hot sheet. Even today, I tell my agents, like, stay obsessed with the hot sheet, stay sharp, because when you're sharp and you have market knowledge, it doesn't matter how you look. You know, earlier we talked about having a baby face and, you know, the adversity of, of somebody, you know, taking you seriously. And in real estate, we have to build rapport very quickly. Right. And it's not just kind of an elevator pitch. It's like we have to build rapport in the market. Why would somebody use you? You know, it's the only profession where. If, for example, if you got hit in, in, a, in a car crash and you were wrongfully hit, you would want to go out and find the best possible attorney. And in real estate, you can go out and find the best possible agent and you don't pay them until they succeed on your behalf. And if you're if you're working with, um, you know, an agent that's representing you on the buyer side, you're really not paying them. Right. You're you're engaging them to go and help you find a property. And then, you know, for our market, the seller typically pays both sides of the commission. But, um, you know, kind of going back to 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 kind of the lens of focus for for me and like how I transitioned from foreclosures to luxury real estate, I focused on the top parts of the market that were transacting and I was knowledgeable about them. I knew who was coming and going. And I think that's really a fundamental that we forget today when we look at, at, at real estate as a whole is that technology does not tell the whole story. You cannot get on Zillow. You cannot get on realtor.com. You can't get on Redfin or even a, a real estate website like um, compass.com. Like those, those, outlets, they just tell you what's transacted and what the price point is, but they don't tell you who the people are, why they transacted. And in the luxury market, especially like there's a house that might transact at one price point and then the home next door sells for half. And it's like, okay, well, why did that happen? And that why is so valuable to a buyer or seller because it allows them to understand why the market's trading. And so for me, understanding and having that knowledge put me heads, heads above my competition because they weren't necessarily paying attention to that. So that's a fundamental that I would recommend to all of our listeners to, to focus on is why are things transacting in the market that you're serving? So when you when you're explaining that why I mean uh, you know the first thing that comes to mind is is understanding the family or the seller or the buyer but I don't think that's what you're talking about here so explain to me what you mean yeah. by that why so it's twofold it could be the story of the family seller or buyer you know somebody may be in a distressed position and that's why they traded or it's really a story of the product what are the nuances of your market you know if we were to look at macroeconomics and we were to try to dissect the US real estate market from uh, my Apple news feed, it would say everybody's you know going to hell in a handbasket right there's recession clickbait and there's you know the market like I was reading something from RIS yesterday and it said you know market takes the biggest nosedive in September that it's had in the history of you know humanity and I, I look at it and it's like a point eight percent average decrease over the entire United States like that doesn't tell the story of your market you know, you're in St. Louis, Missouri, what's going on in St. Louis? And more so like there are microcosms of St. Louis. I'm sure every block is different for us. Like if you were to try to take an average or, or you look at the Z estimates, you know, a property on the Gulf of Mexico is going to trade 10 times more than a property one off the Gulf of Mexico. They're literally 50 feet apart, maybe even less. 
but they're going to be completely different valuations. And so understanding those nuances and really positioning yourself to kind of be a leader and understanding the market is going to position yourself to being a leader in transacting in the market. I love that. I love that. So if somebody says, okay, what is the best advice that you would give uh, to me or for me to give to my agents, if, if it's a leader, uh, to where they can really truly dive in and understand that? Is there, any, is there anything uh, tactical that you did to, to acquire that knowledge? Yeah, definitely. So when I say become obsessed with a hot sheet, um, it all really starts by understanding what's transacting. You know, I was talking to, to my brother about this and, you know, my brother and I are five years apart. He's been with me almost seven years at Spears Group, which is the luxury sales team that, that we run. And, you know, it's been interesting. We, we talked about my background as a single agent, but you know, my business today looks a little different because I, I manage 10 people and, uh, you know, we've been the number one medium-sized team at Compass. And last year, we were the number one medium-sized team in the state of Florida, you know, the number 11 team in the nation. And, you know, for me, like my mindset of, of individual growth shifted to how do I, how do I you know, leverage other people and, and grow as a collective and so I was talking to my brother who, who has kind of stepped into a role of, of leadership from managing our agents and, and really helping them hit on all cylinders. And we were talking about how the average team or the average agent in general, they, they cast such a wide net, right? Like, let's just say I serve St. Louis. Well, St. Louis is so big, right? Like if you really dissected St. Louis to 200 addresses, and you had like, I put a gun to your head and I said, you have got to pick 200 homes that are your dream homes that you love to transact on. What would I start telling you to do first? I'd identify who the homeowners are. I'd, I'd figure out a valuable prospecting method, which for us, we talked direct mail earlier. Direct mail is very valuable in our market because our clients aren't in our market. They may be here for seven days a year. So we're trying to engage them back home in their market, whether it's through direct mail or through social media or through you know, other ad campaigns. But I would, I would really encourage an agent who's kind of like lost and, and doesn't know what they want to do, quit casting such a, you're casting too wide of a net. Be hyper-focused. And that kind of goes back to like my college days. Like I knew I wanted to get a degree. I knew I wanted to go down a path early and I kind of blazed a trail. For you, figure out what you want. What's your why? Um, I had an agent recently. I said, what's your why? And they said, man, I just want capital. I'm like, for what? What do you want capital for? You know, like, what do you mean you want capital? You know, that's not a, that's not a good enough why. Yeah. So, you know, I would highly, I would highly suggest, you know, being focused yeah. uh, and I'm yeah. passionate about it. You can tell it, it's something that really, it, it really gets under our skin when, when um, I see an agent tossing and turning in the wind, because just a little bit of focus and a little bit of daily discipline can be the difference between providing for your family at a high level and not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's uh, the, the word that we are using. Tristan and I do a lot of social coaching and, and, and um, brand management and niching down is what we're telling everyone nowadays. And, and it's, it's almost becoming cliche, but you're right. Like when you're struggling, you feel like you have to cast that wider net, but you're actually doing a disservice yeah. to your business when you do so and niching down and going deep on just a local community and becoming the digital celebrity, like the authority in the community uh, that lifts it up rather than having to talk about real estate. This is more of a social strategy actually will have a much more profound effect on your long-term business than if you do what you think is giving you more opportunity, which isn't necessarily the case. 
I love that. That was that was great advice. Now, one of the things that you've mentioned uh, in in some of your write ups is is you talk about routine, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this by saying you're talking to a guy that is flies by the seat of his pants. Uh, I'm I'm the anomaly when it comes to I have to follow a schedule. I see squirrels all day long, but it works for me. That's most you know, salespeople. It's it's true, but I think a lot of people end up failing because of their lack of structure for some, you've got to figure out who you are. I don't mind working until midnight or I don't mind getting up at 6am. If I have to, I'm not the 5am club guy, but I, I don't mind. I'll do what I have to do uh, yeah. to get what I've got to get done. For most people, I think they struggle with that. Like I don't need to watch television. I don't need to go to bars. I don't need to do that kind of stuff. I'm more hyper-focused probably like you, but for a lot of us as humans, a routine is incredibly important. And that's something that you mentioned that you've customized and it's worked for you. So sell me on why I need a routine. This is so good, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, the thing I tell you to do first is to realize that you do have a routine. And because you don't track it, you don't know it. So if you're the CEO of your business, and you're not tracking what you're doing, how do you actually know what's going on in your business? So you've got a routine and maybe, you know, sporadic, maybe, Hey, I'm up till midnight on Tuesdays because, you know, I watch my favorite show at nine and you know, I go back to work at 10 and uh, you know, like, that's just my life. If I told you, you know, your favorite fortune 500 company had a CEO that wasn't tracking every aspect of the business, would that be a company that you'd look up to? Probably not. And so for your own business, I'd say start by every single day, seven days a week, figure out what am I doing hour by hour, right? Like just track it. it doesn't, I'm not saying like you have to be intentional about doing something, but just figure out what is it that you're doing. And as you start to track your business and your life, because for me, my life and my business are intertwined. I actually have multiple businesses. And if I'm not tracking them, they all blend and then they get very disorganized. And then the way that I communicate with people gets disorganized. And so by stopping and tracking what you're doing day in, day out, you can start to build a routine that works for you. And by the way, like not every routine, the 5 a.m. or the 6, I don't get up at 5 a.m. I don't get up at 6 a.m. I've got a 7 to 7.30 average wake up call. And I love that. Like that works well for me. Some days, three days a week at 6.30 because I go train from 7 to 8. But for me, like I figured out, okay, I need a little bit more sleep. And I, I covet that. Like I value that. Or my kids, you know, they're, they're young. So they go to bed at this hour and that hour. And I've got to work around that. You know, whatever it is that you have in your life, track it and figure out how can I, if I could just get 1% more productive in, in that realm. I know like, hey, I spend way too much time on TikTok right? I'm, I'm looking at too many videos on tip. Like I, I was tracking my day and I'm on there two hours a day. And it's not like I'm messaging people or I'm prospecting on it. I'm just, I'm feeding myself junk. By understanding what you're doing, you can, you can really um, regimen an output as opposed to living in the highs and lows of sales. Like I've got an agent that last year, she did almost $60 million. She's a superstar, but she would say, Jonathan, I just wake up and I do what I do. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to track. I don't want to do any of that. Like I see squirrels and I'm going after the squirrel that's got the biggest nut. Like I'm all about that. And I said, okay, well, if that's the way you want to do your business, great. But if you'll just entertain me for a minute and track what you're doing, what we realize is like when she's high is when she was doing the things in the low period where she felt slow, she's prospecting on a 
you know, two to three hour basis per day. She's setting appointments. She was doing them in the low cycles, but in the high cycles, when she's busy and she's writing contracts and she's, you know, she, all the stuff that she did here is now outputting here. She neglected to continue doing what was down here. And so for us in our business model, we want to, we want to create more of a level field for agents. We want their business to be more predictable. Sales is a numbers game. You know, how many phone calls do you make that, that equates to a, to an appointment and a real appointment, like a two-way conversation that you have with somebody or, you know, a showing at, at one of your listings. Um, and so that's where I would say my sales pitch to you is like, be the CEO of your business. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. So if, if somebody is on a beginner level, what is you, what is your best piece of advice for establishing a routine? The best piece of advice I give for a beginner, whether you're in the mortgage industry, the real estate industry, um, you know, any industry is snuggle up next to whoever you idolize, whoever's doing the most in your market, whoever will give you the time of day that's already doing what you want to be doing. Figure out how, like for me, like I worked as an assistant for $400 a week. It was a flat $400 fee. I would work 80 hours at that brokerage and I got paid 400 bucks, but it was the best education I could have ever received because I was with the people that were transacting and I figured out, okay, this is what they're doing to be successful. Yeah. And you know what, what I heard there is you are the sum of the five, right? You, we've all heard that cliche statement. It's not cliche. Sure. Uh, it's got, it's got a profound effect on where I am today because I, all, I always starved to level up my room. Who am I spending time with? All right, I've caught them and I've kind of surpassed them. They've plateaued. I got to move on. No offense. I still be friends with you, but I don't need to be in the room with you anymore. And I cannot stress that enough. I love that you said that. Okay, so let's let's move forward because I want to talk a little bit about prospecting. And and one of the words that uh, that you use in in um, in your description is value prop. I love value proposition in my world in the mortgage business like my industry just really sucks at value prop and i love it because it allows us to be better because value prop to us is answer my phone i've got the programs i've got the rates i got that's not value that's your job and lenders don't know that most lenders you listen to this if you're listening to this as a lender you don't have a value prop most of you and you suck at it if you have one Uh, and you really need to work at it I want to hear that's not about this isn't about lenders. This is this is more realtors. So I want to hear from you. What does that mean to have a value proposition for your clients? Yeah, definitely. So you can look at it through two ends of the spectrum. As a new agent, a value proposition you could have to a customer is, you know, being at a great um, brand or brokerage that provides a certain marketing outlet. But at another end of the spectrum, let's say that you're already a successful down the road agent on a micro basis, when you prospect the value proposition that you provide needs to be in direct correlation with the value output that your customer wants to get. What I mean by that, so let's just say you had a big sale in the market or a sale period, right? Because any sale kind of tells the story of the market, your ability to go to, 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 from that sale, and turn that into two or three more sales or more leads is to be able to articulate the whys behind that transaction. Why did you make that successful? What were you doing that you could do for somebody else that's going to equate to value? Uh, there's a lot of agents in our market, like when they prospect, they'll, they'll cold call and they'll cold call to say, hey, you know, like we just listed this house in your neighborhood. 
okay, great. You know, like, how does that affect, you know, like, why is that important to me? Right. Like I saw that on Zillow, like three days ago, like, why are you calling me to tell me about it? And that's such an, that's like a, like most people, they, they go, okay, well, I, I just want to tell you, I just want to let you know, but I think a good agent will flip that script and they'll say, look, the reason that I'm calling is because these folks put this house on the market. It's X, you know, let's say it's $500 a square foot. That's a hundred dollars a square foot more than what the previous deal sold for. We've already got three showings. So if you're thinking about selling, if you're thinking about selling, I'd love to know because I've got activity in your market. And then they start to pay, they, you know, like their mindsets flip from, why are you calling me to, well, yeah, maybe I was thinking about selling. So from a value prop standpoint, it's that's such a wide question to, to answer, but I think the value prop, you know your audience and you respond or you, you proactively go after that audience based on the value that you can provide, you know, you know, for their needs. I love that. And let me articulate it a different way, especially for Asians, because I ask people this question a lot. And, and, and for the record, I was challenged by a leader seven, eight years ago, uh, sat down and said, Jeff, I, I want you to right now, quickly tell me your value proposition. And it caught me off guard. And, and when I couldn't answer what she expected that, uh, or I didn't give the right answer. He said, this is something you need to go spend time on in your business. And so now we preach this with everybody that we coach, whether it's real estate or, or loan officers. And the most common answer I get from real estate agent about their value proposition is I care for my clients like their family. And, and I just look at them and I say, and every other agent doesn't do the exact same thing. I mean, that's not value. Like that's expected, right? Yeah. And, and so the way I would articulate it is, if you can't look at your value proposition and say, this does create differentiation or has some distinct differences from what any other average competitor can offer, right. it's not value. And, and so I want to ask you a different question about value prop. What I gave one, what's something that you've maybe heard that they shouldn't, that isn't value, but is as commonly characterized as value. You'll love this, but I'm the number one agent. I'm number one. Everybody's number one at something, right? We're all number one at something. It may be sales volume and maybe transactions and maybe whatever it is. And maybe I'm number one in my mom's heart, right? But we're all number one at something. That is not a good enough reason for somebody to hire you. Yeah. It's not a good enough reason. Know your audience, figure out what is, what's important to them. I love that. I love that. So for your agents on your team, if you sat down today in a meeting and said, guys, this is what I want you to focus on as your value proposition, what would be the most primo number one thing that you would say in that meeting? It's interesting. I was, um, I was doing a note yesterday, like a founder's statement for, for an ad piece. And I think knowledge of our market is probably the most important thing for our agents to focus on. It's their biggest value proposition. It's understanding these transactions. The last two years in our area, if you were a warm body and you had a real estate license, you were transacting. It just wasn't, there was nothing complicated. There was, you know, in fact, it, it really, it diluted the value of a great agent because people didn't necessarily need a great agent. They just needed an agent. Our agents are great and their ability to focus and navigate somebody through a complicated climate, especially with headwinds. I mean, it's so easy to transact with a tailwind. Right now we've got headwinds. So being an advisor 
would be the number one focus of my team and making sure that their value prop to somebody is, Hey, I'm in an advisor's role. I'm not a salesperson anymore. I'm just here to advise. If it's the right time for you to buy or sell, great. This is what we can do. Here are the navigation, here are the paths to do that. But if not, it's time to hold. You got a great interest rate, you know, whatever that is. I'd say that the advisor's role is, is our greatest value prop. I like that. And then I was going to ask you a follow-up question too, which is, you know, when, when someone says to that knowledge is a value proposition, I would argue that we all have the same tools. We all have the same ability to offer the same knowledge. So how can you differentiate with knowledge that isn't broad based or, you know, wide net, if you will. Yeah. So knowledge is, is a shallow word. I would say that the understand, and this goes back to the 200 addresses and knowing your market, but the ability to understand the whys in the market is not, it's not widely known. There's no strategy. There's no, like, if, for example, if I go to a listing appointment for somebody that's hiring, you know, their second or third listing agent, I love to ask the question, what, what how did you arrive at the price that you were at prior to? And I, I don't know that I've ever gotten an answer different from this, but it was always, well, the agent just, this agent just told me to list it at this price. I'm like, well, why? Well, I don't know that this is just what they said, right? They're the agent. They're the expert. I just, I just listened to them. And I take such a different approach in our business, trying to educate an owner why they should list their property at a certain price, setting an expectation, leading them down that path so that if I've got to make an adjustment, they are educated. They're right there with me. They understand why we're making these moves, not just, hey, Mr. Seller, I'm going to need you to do this. I'm going to need you to do that. Like, that's not, you're not really doing your job. You're not really, you're not really providing any value. You're just, you know, you're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And for us, the last couple of years, that's actually worked really well for most agents in the marketplace because everything that you threw at the wall stuck. Now about half of what you throw at the wall is sticking. So it's time to be more strategic in your approach. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to separate the best from the rest for sure. I love it, man. Uh, so that's that's one challenge for all of you listening, whether you're a leader or you're an agent, is really dial in and try to figure out what your what your true value props are that are actually different. And you know what? I encourage you to to get with other agents or get with your leaders and, and work on this. This isn't something you're going to come up with in 15 minutes. I promise you that. If you did, it's not effective. I can already tell you that. This takes time to develop. Uh, so good, great conversation. I wanted to ask you about using direct mail because you mentioned that and and that's, you know, kind of old school. It, it, it's something that we're passionate about in our world because we provide that value to our agents on a very high, inexpensive level. But a, one of the objections we get a lot of times is who does that anymore? Tell us why, why someone, why an agent should rethink, rewire and direct mail could be super effective. Yeah. So for me in a second home market, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, like our customer base isn't always here. And so ways to get in front of them uh, consistently is direct mail. And I think also like the strategy of what you're mailing to somebody. You know, I was at the Inman conference in Las Vegas a few months ago and spoke on the main stage. And right before me, we had somebody come up and talk about these handwritten notes and how impactful a handwritten note is. The way that we approach direct mail is kind of a litany of things. It could be a mixture of handwritten notes, um, direct mail postcards, usually nine by 11. 
So as large and in charge as possible. And, you know, it's really providing a value to, to the folks that we're farming, you know, pick 200 addresses and farm them constantly. When you start seeing response from customers is when they start seeing a repetitive value proposition from you, whether it's, Hey, you've got signs in my neighborhood. And then I'm also getting your mailers or, you know, you just so happen to be in my social media influence. And then I'm seeing your signs when I, while I'm in the market, you know, the direct mail, it, it comes on top of that. And it really, you know, registers your brand with um, somebody that may even be looking, okay, I saw Spears group logo, I'm throwing in the trash, but it, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a time that I had a competitive agent tell me, Hey, one of my clients has gotten about 40 of your postcards and he's kept every one of them. And it bothers me. And I said, well, shoot, why does it bother you? He goes, because he always mentions you when he talks to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, how, how crazy is that? Because I've never heard from this client, but I heard through their agent that they're asking about me, about my brand. So whether you get immediate recognition or not, usually for us, it takes six postcards to one area before we ever get a single call. Right. So six valuable direct mail pieces, whether that's handwritten notes, postcards, brochures, six pieces before we ever get a response. And that's typically like one or two responses. And so that's why I say don't cast a wide net, be hyper focused, because when you're hyper focused, that group of owners is going to get the most value out of that direct mail. I love it. Almost all like EDDM strategy. What yeah. um, is, is there exactly a certain right. cadence that you recommend when doing direct mail? Is it twice per month, once per month? What is it? Yeah. So for us, typically we're once every two weeks. So twice a month. I love it. I love it. And, and have you found that any certain kind of strategy? So for example, you know, a lot of the postcards are very typical, right? This just right. sold in your market. Here's a right. market data. Uh, but I feel like if, if somebody focused more on local content, you know, highlighting a restaurant or top three parks to go for a hike with your kids yeah. or, you know, like that would ca- grab attention. Uh, you know, here we go. Value prop differentiation. Yeah, 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 anything, yeah. anything specific with the, that you've seen that works, that would be a nugget somebody could maybe walk away with. There is an agent in the market that used to always send a postcard with a sale on one side and a recipe on the other. And I always thought it was so tacky until I had clients asking me about it. Like, did you see this recipe? Like, you know, can you believe this? And I'm like, I I love that a recipe got their attention. I'm not tried that one, but you know, for me, like I'm typically referencing a sale that I've done, or even maybe a media win. Like I may send out a postcard about this podcast and say, look, this was an opportunity for, you know, for us to spotlight our market on a national stage. And people start to think, oh my gosh, like these guys can actually poise my property on a national stage, you know, like a PR win versus, Hey, we just sold a house. So those would be, those would be things that I would really kind of like think into is, you know, maybe in your brokerage, like who's had a big PR win. Maybe there is an article in Inman or, or, um, or in wall street journal or, you know, some outlet that is really attractive and, and flashy. And how could you send that out in a meaningful way to a community that would respond to it? I love that. And and you totally gave me the uh, the, the platform to say one of the things I, I teach agents all the time is about social media, which is imagine leaning into a TikTok or an Instagram or something like that. And then specifically, we're talking those couple platforms, maybe YouTube, and, and you do it consistently. Remember what Jonathan said, you got to be consistent. It's going to take time. But imagine 
popping off and it happens very regularly now. And you can go into a listing appointment or put on a marketing piece that you have the capability of getting hundreds of thousands of eyeballs on your property. There's not many agents that are doing that. And imagine if you're the one that can do that, that's going to grab their attention. Everybody's enamored with social media nowadays. That's that differentiating piece versus here's my 25 point marketing, you know, this is how I'm going to sell your house. Like, yeah, no shit. Everybody said the same thing. Um, yeah. How do you differentiate, man? I, I love it. I love it because you have sparked me to go on random soapboxes, which is very typical. I love that. Dude, dude, this has been a great conversation. We're, we're running short on time. What would be uh, some parting thoughts that you would like to share? You gave a lot of good nuggets today, but what would be some, some most profound walk away? Here's what, here's what you should do. I think the most profound thing, you know, we talked about the word knowledge. There's constant consumption of knowledge. We're constantly listening to podcasts or we're reading books or, you know, we're, we're reading news articles or we're scrolling social media to try to find more information. Be disciplined to apply the knowledge that you get to your business and to your life. You'll consume over and over and over and over, but until you apply you've wasted your time. You can know and not apply and you, you may as well be, you know, dust in the wind. Take action, I think is the, uh, is, is how I would summarize that. You go to conferences, you listen to webinars, you listen to podcasts. Uh, but if you don't take like immediate action, it's going to, it's going to fall on the backside. And, and back to what you said earlier too, uh, being intentional about that two hours you spent on TikTok. There's two hours rabbit hole. There's two hours like watching your peers, learning, yes. taking notes, here's yes. ideas. There's different, there's different ways to look at it. Different and so way. many of us Absolutely. are guilty of. I love it, dude, man. This has been great. It's been great to uh to get to know you. And and so let's tell the audience if somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best yeah. way to connect with you? Yeah. So sometimes I'll spend two hours on Instagram responding to direct messages, but uh, Instagram is a great way at Jonathan M as in Michael Spears um, or SpearsGroupFL.com. In fact, most of my listing presentations, all I pull up is SpearsGroupFL.com. Shows my media wins. It shows my listings, my solds. That's a really great template for, um, you know, for, for anybody to use from a listing standpoint. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you and look forward to hosting you in my market soon. I'd <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Be careful what you wish for. Go follow him, Jonathan M. Spears. I just did. Uh, so now we can formally be Instagram friends. Jonathan, it's, it. been, it's been awesome, dude. I uh, look yeah. forward to I look forward to, to uh, having a cocktail with you someday and uh, coming down in, in your neck of the woods. Let's go. I can't wait. This episode of the Lab Code Agents podcast is brought to you by RedX, the complete real estate prospecting solution. RedX offers high-quality lead data on expireds, for sale by owners, vacant rental property owners, pre-foreclosures, and geo-leads, the number one data source for neighborhood prospecting. You can also filter, organize, and call your leads inside Vortex, the all-in-one lead management platform, free with any lead subscription. With RedX, you get more than just phone numbers. You get all the tools you need to connect with more homeowners who are actively looking to sell. RedX is offering our listeners $150 off just go to redx.bz forward slash LCA. That's R-E-D-X dot B-Z forward slash LCA to sign up for RedX today. Welcome.
Agents Podcast.